Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 42 of the Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. On the show with me today, I have Michael. He is a cook, a blogger, and hosts the YouTube food show, Munson Made This, Vegan Food for Everyone. We discussed his brave, bold move to end his career as a high school English teacher so he could follow his passion and start his own vegan food TV show. We also talked about why he decided to start a vegan plant-based diet lifestyle and how he enjoys reinventing childhood and adult favorite foods into a vegan option. We also chatted about factory farming how eating animals today is a lot different than it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. We chatted about animal cruelty, how people treated him when he came out as a vegan, and his biggest challenge is learning to cook vegan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Michael. <laughs> hey, everybody. I am so excited to welcome my guest today, Michael Munson, to the show. Hello, sir. Welcome to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. Hello, happy to be on board, I guess, is it? Oh, yeah, sure. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Welcome on board, sir. Now, should I call you Mike, Michael Munson? What? How do you like to be called? Uh, Michael's good, I guess. Uh, having the name Michael my whole life, I've had to decide between Mike and Michael, but I think as an adult, Michael, I think that's what I choose. Michael. Okay, perfect. Michael, yeah. you know, I when anyone calls me Joseph, I immediately think I'm in trouble. So, see, I grew up with a mom who was always like, "Your name is Michael. Don't let uh, anyone call you Mike. It's Michael. I gave you that name." And then, and now, I had to rebel a little bit, but I've come around. Now, is your last name Munson, or is Munson just a created name for your YouTube page, your YouTube nope. channel? That is my last name, Mister Munson. Well, Mr. Yep. Munson, thank you for being on the show. I'm a very big fan, and so is my husband. But would you please let my listeners know who you are and what you do? Sure. I have a YouTube channel and a struggling Instagram page, and basically I cook vegan food online. I try to release a new video every week. Um, <laughs> I'm really bad at being consistent with the, putting it out the same day, but uh, we do get one out per week. And yeah, I just try to make vegan food that, uh, I, I have a, an idea of vegan food for everyone. That's my idea is trying to make food that's accessible to everybody. It's not like super healthy or, you know, I don't make any health claims about my food, but I just claim that it's delicious. And I have to tell you, we have tried, um, your easy cheesy vegan grits with mushroom kale and white beans. We've made this like yeah. maybe like three or four months ago and it was fantastic. So 
Thank you for that. And I'm glad yeah, that I'm glad that you mentioned making vegan food for everyone because so many people who don't live a plant-based diet think vegan mm-hmm. food is basically like, oh, do you just chew on tree bark and eat grass in the backyard? <laughs> right. And, and I think some people do. Some <laughs> some people on plant-based diets do that and criticize people on YouTube comments who aren't also just chewing tree bark, but I, you know, I can't, I can't choose, I cannot chew tree bark or eat grass, but I have been (laughs) asked that question. Now I want to go back a little further because, um, now that you're running this YouTube page, that's not where you started though. You were an English teacher. Am I correct? Right. Yep. I was technically a teacher for about 14 years. Wow. Now, what do you mean by technically? Um, I, well, the, the long story is that I, I was an English major in college, graduated without knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, I remember when I declared English as my major, the one thing I said is, well, I'm not going to be a teacher because everyone asked, what are you going to do with an English degree? I'm like, well, I'm not going to be a teacher. And uh, I found myself not knowing what to do. And then the state of Nevada was looking for teachers and they were willing to put people, basically, like, if you had an English degree, they would put you into the classroom without really any teaching experience you had to go through a couple courses but um it was like two or three weeks of crash course and they would put you into the classroom and so i applied to the program and they ended up putting me at an alternative school which i was grading scantron tests for about three years basically not teaching anything just i was a licensed person in the room to give tests to, to students who wanted to basically test out of high school and uh, I did that for a few years while I was actually earning my master's degree in teaching because mm-hmm. that was also something that was part of the program. And then uh, I got tired of trying to explain what my job was as a, a teacher who didn't teach. And uh, I decided to try to apply to a comprehensive high school. And then I was there for about 10 years as an English teacher. So I say about 14 years because I kind of started middle of the first year and for the first couple of years, I didn't really teach anything. So mm, that's see. where the about comes in. I see. So 14 years now, you said that when you picked English as a major, you did not want to become a teacher. What did you want to use your English degree for? So originally, I went to college wanting to be a film major. And I went to UNLV because it was in-state. Basically, I was able to attend for free with grants. So I wanted to be a film major. And my first couple months of school here and taking film classes from a lot of professors who had tried to make it in Hollywood but were unsuccessful, who had a very negative outlook on basically telling their students, you know, you're not going to make it in the film industry. So I got, you know, kind of... uh, I lost interest in, in that. So I decided, okay, well, instead of being a film major, how about I focus on photography and English? So I get the visuals and the story. And I don't know, I had to decide at some point between a photo major or an English major, English seemed to be a little bit more, I don't know, diverse. So that's what I went with. Interesting. Now, because you have that past passion for filmmaking now that Mm -hmm. you are actually making youtube videos and you're cooking it's kind of like you went back to that original passion yeah i mean even like younger than that i kind of wanted to be like 
a broadcast journalist or I, I had a, an idea that I wanted to be on TV or some sort of media presence. And that's, I mean, that's really young. Like, I think I secretly wanted to be a child star. Maybe it wasn't a secret, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it never, you know, and that sort of went away. And then I, you know, was teaching for all those years. And then, yeah, I find myself, it's interesting when I, I, I think about what I'm doing now, it truly is a extension of everything that I've done or I've wanted. So it's being on camera, it's creating media, it's still teaching people, it's cooking, eating. So yeah, it's kind of a culmination of everything. It's like you had to have all these experiences. You had to have the English degree. You had to have that passion for filmmaking. You be, you started living a plant-based lifestyle, which we'll talk about. And it's mm -hmm. all these things have just piled up to get you to your point now where you're running months and made this and you have a blog right. and you have a YouTube page. So I find that to be fascinating. And it's almost like maybe fit. I don't know how old you are. I won't ask, but maybe like 15 years ago, you might not have been ready to do this, but now you are. Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't. And also the fact that, I mean, I have a partner who is a videographer. Oh, perfect. So that, that sort of is how that happened as well. I, it all started, it started actually with my Instagram page, which isn't as successful, I don't think, as my YouTube, but it all started with me like, all right, I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to try to just like take pictures of the food. And then that turned into my partner, Ben, saying like, well, why don't we make some videos? Why don't I film you cooking? And then it just kind of went from there. Well, I'm sure I will throw... Um positive accolades at you all through this episode. But I will say this, that actually makes a lot of sense that your partner Ben works in video because your videos would put Food Network, will challenge Food Network videos. Your videos well, are top you. notch. Yeah, and, I give him all yeah. of the credit. He, he filmed them, he edits them. There's maybe an occasional one that I do myself, but no, it's, it's definitely all him. So it started out from what you said, it started out as an Instagram page. You wanted to take photos, but how did you go from eating animal flesh? And that's what I call it. Cause I like to sometimes make, uh -huh. I like to make people uncomfortable <laughs> because uh -huh. they don't, they, you know, the factory farming industries and the meat companies have made it. So have separated the idea that it's an animal instead of just a True. pack of meat in a grocery store. So sometimes I like to, th if somebody's really challenging me about why I'm a vegetarian, I like to throw out the word animal flesh and then surprisingly <laughs> they shut the fuck up. Excuse my language. I swear. Right. So. But, um, how did you transition from being an, a meat eater to a plant-based life diet? So I've basically since, so even before I went to UNLV, um, when I graduated high school, I went to this film workshop in, in LA. So that was in 98, if you, the age math there. But so I graduated high school in 98, went to this film workshop at uh, UCLA for about six weeks. And uh, I sort of got a crush on someone who was a vegetarian and uh, decided that in order to kind of get in good with him, it was like, oh, I, I'm a vegetarian too. And then that kind of got me through college as a vegetarian, mm -hmm. um, fell off of that because um, I was working uh, some jobs here in Vegas where I was able to eat at all these fine dining restaurants. And it was like, well, I've got to be able to eat everything. And of course, that was also in the early 2000s when vegan food wasn't as accessible as it is today. And then uh, 
I don't know, at some point I saw some, you know, slaughterhouse footage and decided, you know what, I'm going vegan. And, you know, I went off and on for a few years. And then uh, most recently, so I just celebrated my four-year vegan anniversary on the 4th of July. Uh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you. The most recent, uh, which is the one that sticks, is um, basically I was having some some health problems. I was, my blood work wasn't great. I have high cholesterol, high blood pressure. and um, I tried doing like a, the doctor said, well, you need to cut out sugar, cut out carbs. So I kind of did like a paleo keto type thing for a while. And that ended up making my symptoms a little bit worse or my blood work a little bit worse. And I don't know, I just woke up one day. It was literally woke up one day and decided, you know what, I'm going to go vegan again. And I did overnight, started watching YouTube videos. And like I said, as of July 4th, I guess it's 2016, I just stopped. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, it, it wasn't necessarily ethical at that point. It was completely me trying to improve my health. And it was a pretty strict, like, plant-based at that point. And um, vegan YouTube at that time was very much like lots of people just eating nothing but fruit. Like, mm-hmm. they, they get up and have nothing but oatmeal, no sweetener, and then they, you know, make a, mo- a meal where they're just steaming things. And it was a little bit bland, so that's sort of what I was watching. But I, I definitely think that like vegan YouTube was the way that I was able to transition so easily and quickly, which is kind of in turn why I decided to have a YouTube channel as well as just kind of give back. Mm-hmm. Like, well, here's what I've learned. So let me let me show you what my journey has been like, or what's kept me able to stay vegan as well. And you, I, this term sounds terrible when we're talking about being plant-based dieters, but you basically went cold turkey and just woke up and said, that's it. And I think that is so difficult. And the fact that you've stayed on that for four years, because I know for me, um, I still occasionally, occasionally eat eggs, but I, I don't Mm -hmm. think. I think the last time I had an egg was like two or three months ago. Um, and I rarely eat cheese, rarely, because my husband mm-hmm. is a full plant-based diet person and he does most of the cooking. So my diet's 95%. Yeah. But I can remember when I decided to have a vegetarian um, diet, it's been two and a half years, January 1st, 2018. And um, nice. I had read this book called Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foyer. It's Uh a fantastic book. And when I first started, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give up chicken, beef, and pork. And I'm going to eat fish. So I got through like the second chapter of this book and I found out what happens in the fishing world and Mm -hmm. the byproduct, you know, for every pound of fish, like a thousand fish are killed. And I just thought, oh God. And I remember walking out of the bedroom and saying to my husband, Matt, I was like, well, I can't eat fish because good Lord. And he's like, <laughs> right. ex- exactly. Is your, um, I, I mean, go ahead. That's sort of how it happened. I feel it's like, like I, I kind of entered into this world through like, oh, I, you know, if I don't eat any food that has cholesterol in it, then my cholesterol is going to go down. And starting with that kind of mentality of plant-based eating for my health. But then the more time you sort of spend in the world with, watching vegan content or reading vegan content, it becomes a bit of a lot more than that. It's no longer like, how is this going to be beneficial to me? But you see the effect of what that effect has on other people as well, or other beings. Right. And the environment, it it becomes, yeah, just, I think the more, the more that you 
the more that you read or the more that you watch, the more that you know, and the easier it is to try to not go back to eating that way. I think that we approached it in the opposite ideas, but then came to the same realization because I remember when I stopped, it was for animal cruel. When I stopped eating animals, it was because mm-hmm. of the animal cruelty. And then right. after, um, I think it, it was this year, was it this year? Yeah, it was this year's blood results that came back. My cholesterol was the lowest it's ever been in my entire adult life. And great. I just remember thinking, wow, like I stopped eating animals because I didn't like the cruelty and the factory farming. Like if it was 1930 mm-hmm. again, I'd probably eat meat because it's yeah. not like it would be today. Um, but I remember Completely. when I saw the blood results, I was like, wow, now I can never go back because I'm seeing so many benefits from this. Completely. And I, I think that there still is, I don't know, with, with uh, putting content out there, I'm, I try to be conscious of the difference or the separation between like plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle because you have such strong opinions on both sides that have very specific ways of how you should be eating or the way that you should be approaching it. And uh, making that distinction, I think, is is helpful and finding myself somewhere in between that distinction right now mm-hmm. where it, it is ethical, but at the same time, knowing that you're choosing to eat specific foods because it is healthy for you as well. Right. But, yeah, because, well, once you're not eating all that meat and that steak and the beef and all that fat, you know, I love the idea that I don't cook with chicken anymore because I don't have to worry about salmonella. I don't have to, oh, I have to wash right. this. This is dirty. It's like tofu. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, in a way, vegan kitchens are almost dirtier because there just isn't that incessant need to just. Oh, right. I mean, dirty is not the right word. But no, don't I, say I am that. Like, you know, other than, other than pre-COVID, but. uh. You know, the idea that I just don't feel like I need to, I remember seeing this like listicle on Food Network or some Food Network adjacent thing that was like how to, about cleaning your kitchen. And it was like 10 tips. And they literally all had to do with sanitizing your kitchen after meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like meat touches any surface and like, I don't know, it's like OCD and me sees like chicken touch a cutting board. And then you kind of like visually see <laughs> like bacteria spreading. Oh, yeah. You know, everything you touch, and um, it's just not the same, as you said, when you put a piece of tofu on the cutting board. Obviously, I'm cleaning up after myself, but it's just not that feeling of like, oh, my God, everything that this food touched is now contaminated. There's bacteria everywhere, cross-contamination. Make sure I use separate cutting boards for this thing and this thing. Mm-hmm. That, that fear isn't there anymore. Right. And, you know, tofu, you know, for me, my, one of my hardest things about becoming a vegetarian was the idea that I wouldn't eat the things that I had spent 30 some plus years, 40 plus years eating. So mm-hmm. I had to train my brain and now I don't even think about eating. It's not even an option anymore, but you know, tofu is almost the same thing as chicken. It will taste like whatever you do to it. Yeah, tofu is magical, and I remember. <laughs> I love that. Actually, when I when I when I first when I first that July fourth, uh, twenty sixteen, I remember saying to myself, like, I'm not going to be one of those like tofu eating vegetarians. I don't know why or vegans. I don't know why that was in my head as like something kind of like I'm not going to be that one. And then like that went away after about a week or two. But yeah, you can do so much with it. I make it. You know, I'm always like air frying it or even deep oh, yeah. frying it and using it sort of a, 
the quote meat of the dish. But then I just did a whole series of videos where I was using silken tofu as like a mayo-based dressing for cold salads, potato salads, macaroni salads. So if it can be both a mayo and a chicken, <laughs> like I'm, yeah, it's magic. Matt, um, it can do it all. Matt puts the silken tofu in his smoothies for extra protein. I mean, you can use it for so much. I don't. I wouldn't put chicken. I wouldn't put chicken broth in my smoothie, but somebody <laughs> might. Right <laughs> now, let's go back to you're an English teacher. You're teaching mm-hmm. high school. You start a vegan. Um, diet. How do you transition from being an English teacher to this full-time YouTuber channel? So I, I was, I had worked my way up basically when I started teaching English, I was teaching ninth grade high school English. And I did that for quite a number of years, just basically nothing but that. So I guess five or six classes a day of nothing but ninth grade English. And I actually enjoyed it for the most part. And then as I worked at the school longer, I was given like higher level classes. So my last year of teaching, I was teaching like four sections of AP composition and creative writing. And it was the best, like it was the best possible schedule that I could have. And I was working with, in quotes, the best students that I could. And I don't know, I just hit a point where I was starting to make YouTube videos and the passion started to go in that direction. And I kind of, I lost my drive to be better as a teacher and that's not a good place to be. Mm. And I didn't want to resent anybody. I didn't want to, and, and things were changing in education. They are still changing. And I just kind of, uh, I just lost my passion for it altogether. And it could have been the fact that I just didn't like where education was heading per se, or that I was having other things happen with my like YouTube channel that I was like, I want to put more energy invested into that. But uh, yeah, summer break, I guess it's been one full year, maybe, I don't even remember. Um, but it was during the summer and I just, it, it clicked, you know what, I'm not going to go back. I'd actually had a lot of anxiety for a couple years prior to that where I just didn't, I I just had anxiety going into school. And so uh, just one day I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go back after this summer, filled out the paperwork, which is surprisingly simple to, (laughs) to no longer like have that job. Like it's like an email and your name signed on the line. Oh, wow. uh, Really? I I just, just, yeah, it was incredibly simple. (laughs) Oddly. Um, So yeah, I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to go back after this summer. And it was this huge weight was lifted off of me. And, um, you know, when people would ask why you did it, I, I of course, I'm not going to tell them, Oh, I, cause at the time I maybe had like less than 10,000, uh, YouTube subscribers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say, you know, Hey, I quit teaching to, to become a YouTuber. But, you know, that was kind of in the back of my mind. It was more just to, to see what else I could do. I had some savings that I could, um, help support me while I figured out what I wanted to do. And I don't know, just kept making videos and things have been slow, but steady. And so it just is now able to pretty much support us. I mean, it's not uh, an extravagant amount of money by any means, but it's paying the bills. Oh, that's good. So being able to, to do what I like, not having to stress out about teaching other people's children. And, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question, but it does. It, it, it does. was, it was just kind of, it just kind of happened. I just needed to step away from one thing because I didn't like the way that I felt there anymore. Mm-hmm. And there was something else kind of brewing in the works and trying to put more attention into that to see where it goes. I love this story because I've recently just done that. I retired from the airline industry last month and it takes, it takes a lot of bravery and, you know, even though you're scared shitless and you're like, Oh my God, what am I doing to take the leap of faith to follow your passion? I think is something that not a lot of people have the balls to do. So congratulations on doing that. Do you, um, now, when you were a teacher and you're starting to fall out mm-hmm. of love with it, you're just feeling like, ah, yeah. oh, this isn't what I want to do. Does the idea that you're doing these videos spark like, oh, wait a minute, I could actually leave and have something to, I can fall up, I can do this, I can make these videos? Um, on You know, there, there's this, you know, it's in the back of my mind that like, hey, maybe it'll take off, the channel will do great, and I'll be able to live off this and you know that that's sort of in the in the far back reaches of my mind and like a, you know a hope but at the time when i when i left i didn't i didn't feel that that was what was necessarily i had hoped it would but it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily like the plan you know it's like a dream versus a plan it was a dream but there was nothing there was nothing set and said like all right this is these are the steps that i need to take in order to make this work and in order for it to actually support support me and when you do so something- it was it was it was more of a just like i said it was more of just like a separation from one thing mm-hmm. to explore other options as opposed to i'm leaving this to do this do you think that if you wouldn't have had months and made this in the videos being produced do you think you'd still be a, a teacher right now i don't know oh good i i think that um there was just something about the way that I felt at the end of it that I was just, I kind of was phoning it in. I, I, I knew the job. I knew what I had to do. I could show up every day, go through the motions. And I hated that the students had that as their teacher. Like I hated the idea that they had somebody who was showing up to work, doing a job and leaving at the end of that job. So I definitely felt like it was time for me to leave. So I didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing or how exactly things were going to work out afterwards, but I just knew that that's not where I was needed anymore. I love that you said it wasn't, you know, you basically said, you know, because I didn't really like this job, it wasn't fair to the students. Like who want, nobody wants a teacher who's really just phoning it in to be teaching the students. But a lot of teachers don't make the leap like you did. They'll stay and be miserable forever. And we've I mean, all had those teachers. It's a good job. <laughs> like as much as you hear um, people complain about the, the salary of teachers and the life of a teacher, I, I I felt like I worked smart and not hard. And I was able to, I, I felt like it was a good living. I, I liked the hours. I liked the, you know, for the most part, the people that I worked with, I didn't, you know, it was, it was a great job for a long time. And then I, I see why people stay because it is a steady source of income. You do have those summers off. The you know I was working basically. I was off by about two o'clock in the afternoon every day. It was it was good. So I see why people stay, even though they might not be in love with it because it's it's steady. Um, 
Everything. And if you get into a if you get into a routine, also it's even much easier. Like, oh, I've been teaching the same class for ten years. Mm-hmm. I already have the lesson plans. I just reuse them. Show up. Done. Everything you explained regarding your life as a teacher was how I mm-hmm. felt at the end of my road as a flight attendant, as an active flight attendant. Everything that you just said could have come out of my mouth, like. Yeah. The idea of I'm just I'm at you know because when I was a flight attendant I was at the top of my seniority I held everything I wanted I had I could I had I had 35 hour Las Vegas layovers whenever I wanted I mean I left right. I always think of it as being Seinfeld I left at my Seinfeld moment you know sure <laughs> Seinfeld could have yeah. lasted a couple more seasons but I left at the top of my career as a flight attendant to follow my passion. Which is and that's interesting that we we were both sort of at the pinnacle on some, you know, we, we both reached as high. And maybe that was part of my decision as well, as I hit a point where I thought, well, what's after this? What more, you know, there's nothing more for me to, to gain out of this. There's no more growth. I could be a principal. I could become a dean. I could, you know, work mm-hmm. my way up to superintendent, but I didn't, I didn't want that at all. So I, I looked at myself and like, I'm teaching the, quote, best classes I can teach. I'm working with the best students. My my gig is pretty easy, comparatively, but uh, it just wasn't a growth opportunity. So, yeah, I can see that in any type of profession that you hit a point where you're like, well, now what? Right. I can stay here and phone it in every day, or try something else. Now you mentioned that you would go to school and you would feel anxiety. Was that because you were spinning your wheels or is there another reason you felt anxious when you would go to work? I think that it was a a few different things. There was, it was probably the last two years that um, it was about a 20, 20 minute drive in the morning, normally about 6 AM to get to work. And I just remember for quite a number of, I guess it was like the last year or two that just every day driving to to school was just uh, almost a panic attack. And it does have to do with me feeling that I was, I'd rather be doing something else, but it was also like the stuff that you're afraid of dealing with at a school, you know, like the, the, you know, like school shootings, for example, you know, you just, you don't know what you're showing up to each day. And it became kind of a, a scary environment to work in. And I hate that I kind of let that get to me but it did. And, uh, yeah, it was just the culmination of a bunch of things. And plus being with Ben, who was a freelance videographer, you know, seeing what he was able to do to make money (laughs) and like, Oh, he's pulling in a similar amount to me each month. Mm -hmm. And he shows up to a gig, films it, edits it. And just, it made me kind of think that there was other things that I could be doing that I should be doing that were maybe more in line with, the things that like I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was younger mm, and it, right. it didn't feel like I was, I was on that path anymore. I don't know. It was like a wake up moment. And I think that maybe caused some of that anxiety as well. Well, I'm glad Am you, I doing what I want to do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had that wake up moment. Cause you might not be where you are now. You might still yeah. be just spinning your wheels or thinking like, well, you know, let me become a vice principal or let me become a principal because that's usually the pattern that people take when they're teachers or guidance counselors or whatnot. Right. I know, and we're in a, you know, a pretty fortunate situation. We have fairly low overhead. So I was able to 
I, I didn't necessarily need all that income at that time. So I was able to step away. I mean, I couldn't imagine if things were different where I wasn't able to, you know, if I, if I wasn't able to live off minimal, I don't think I would have, you know, had the same option. Right. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I just love think that, that I'm lucky that. that I, that I could, I mean, I'm lucky that I had the opportunity. Well, and I love that you said that because so many people stay in positions and stay in jobs and stay in a lifestyle that they can't leave because they live above mm -hmm. their means. So it's great to always keep that in your mind. Like, what if sh the shit hit the fan and I'm not doing this anymore? You know, maybe I need to rethink how my finances are because maybe one day you mm -hmm. I can do something where I'm not making as much money, but oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Yeah, and I think that's where I am now, which I feel I have the, the freedom. It would be nice to have more income to explore that freedom a little bit more. But I, if I had the option to, to go back tomorrow, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I love that. That's a great, that's, that's a good story for listeners who are sitting there, especially a lot of flight attendants, of course, listen to this podcast. And mm -hmm. there's so much going on in the airline industry. And a lot of people are leaving and retiring like I did. And, you know, they get to that point, just like what we're talking about, like, what do I do? I'm so scared. But sometimes you have to take that fear like you did, like I did, mm -hmm. and kind of just push yourself through the door. Just say, take that fear, hold it in your hand, and walk through the door. Let it go. It's and I'm yeah. I had to choose which passion. anxiety to go with, <laughs> which you know the anxiety, you know, the anxiety of trying to make something work for myself, or the anxiety of feeling like I'm spinning my wheels. Right. Because I think we spin our wheels so much in life anyway. So mm -hmm. why, if we have a chance to relieve ourselves from something like that and do something that we're passionate yeah. and we love, we should. Um, yeah, and a lot of people don't have that chance. I, I definitely feel right. lucky that I did. Oh yes, I, I'm. I definitely um, am grateful that I like like you that I have this opportunity to follow my passion because a lot of people mm -hmm. don't. Um, yeah. When you first decided, July fourth, twenty sixteen, I'm gonna I'm wake up. I'm a plant based eater. What was mm -hmm. the biggest challenge for you regarding your friends who were not? plant-based dieters, not vegans, because I know that was a challenge when I first came out as a vegetarian. It was almost like my, fr uh, some of my friends acted like I was doing something bad against them. Hmm. And so yeah, I was I curious I to hear what any, you have that say about that. I don't necessarily have any, um, any of those experiences. I, I mean, I definitely feel like I was lucky in that regard as well with Ben. We, when we, you know, early on in the relationship, I remember, I don't, I don't know what even prompted it exactly. I was like, we should go vegan. And like, we did it for like a couple of weeks and he sort of fell off. But the fact that he was like sort of on board, mm -hmm. um, and that was very beginning, you know, very early on sort of stuck with me. And then when I fully, you know, committed to it, like, Hey, I'm doing this. I actually didn't tell him for, <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but I didn't really tell him for like a couple weeks even though we were living in the same house, it was more of like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just try this. I'm just going to like experiment. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had, we're making homemade pizzas at home and he had made his pizza with his cheese on it that he was really excited about. And he's like, here, try this. This is so good. Taste it. And I was like, I had to come out to him. Like, you know, I haven't <laughs> actually, <laughs> I haven't actually eaten 
uh, you know, meat or dairy in a, in a few weeks. You know, I know that it was an experiment, but I think I'm going to like continue doing that. And, uh, he was fine with it. And then other friends, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any like pushback. I don't, I don't know why others experienced that. I mean, I could see that if you were younger and you're living in your parents' house or yeah, I don't, I don't know. What were your, what was it that your friends were just kind of giving oh, you shit for it or yeah. they were, they thought you were ruining your life or <laughs> well, I'm interested in what you got. It's um, it's more of the, Oh, you're making me feel awkward because you're choosing not to eat meat. So that must be, that must mean eating meat is bad and I eat meat. So now it's kind of like you're throwing up your elitistness in that's not a word, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like you're throwing it. So I would have situations where I was like, Oh, I can't, you know, I'm not going to, I'll, I'll share with you one story. Um, I was visiting friends and they all knew I was a vegetarian Mm -hmm. and, um, we had gone out, we had spent the whole day out doing stuff, whatever. And when we came back, we were all taking showers and I went to take a shower. And when I came out, somebody's like, oh, we're going to the steakhouse for dinner. Because it was like one of those things where like, oh, where are we going to go eat? Where are we going to go eat? And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go take yeah. a shower. You guys figure something out and then I'll come out. And when I came out, I walked into the room and they're like, we're going to such and such chop house, which is actually worse than a steakhouse. Because usually a steakhouse will have like, something like a salad, but like a chop house, you're talking, it's 99.99% of me. And I remember just thinking, are you guys testing me? Is this a test? Because <laughs> yeah. you know, I, you, you know, I don't eat meat and that is what you're recommending is a fucking chop house. Like <laughs> right. it was so absurd to me, but I, I remember going into the room I was staying in and taking a few deep breaths and saying, well, what are you going to do? So I went out and I said, well, you guys enjoy dinner. I'm going to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and go to bed. <laughs> Which peanut butter and jelly side note is such a staple. I don't know why it's so good. I still, I think I love peanut butter and jelly more today than I ever have in my life. Oh but. yeah. I could, if I was, if I was on a deserted Island and I could only have one thing, it would be peanut butter because I know it would just keep totally. me alive. Right. And I just, um, I was just, I remember feeling so hurt and mm -hmm. after they all left and I thought, how disrespectful, uh, you know, and I just thought it was like a test. I think they were like, let's see if Joe's really serious about this. And I ended up having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner to prove that I was serious, right. that I don't go to a chop house. See, I, I actually, my experiences are almost the exact opposite where I feel that the responsibility comes on to me to choose where a large group of people are going to eat because of my dietary restrictions. Mm. So with, it's, it's like they're, I think that they're being kind in giving me that option, but at the same time, there's kind of a, all right, well, there's eight of us that want to go eat out to dinner somewhere. Where can you eat? And, um, you know, that, that kind of becomes a little bit of anxiety trying to figure out how I'm going to make a group of omnivores mm -hmm. happy with my decision, but also make myself happy, which if it's in Vegas, Vegas has a ton of great vegan options. So it's never hard here, but if we're visiting his family in like Denton, Texas or <laughs> somewhere, oh, you know, yeah. like it, it becomes difficult. Like, well, where are we all going to eat? And it's, you know, or Missouri where his family's from, it, uh, you know, becomes a little bit stressful to, to try to figure out how I'm going to make everyone happy without being selfish. Like, all right, we're all going to go to spiral diner and we're all going to eat vegan food, but right. they're good sports. Now, do they, 
correct me if I'm wrong, I might have misheard that, but mm-hmm. do they now look at you and say like, so when you're visiting family in Missouri, do they say, okay, Michael, where, where you know, what's a good place we should go? Do they kind of put it into your lap about where to pick um, a restaurant not, or? Not so much like where's a good place that we should go, but like you need to pick. Oh. Because of you, which is the, ki- it's the kindest thing, right? It's, it's right. so nice, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good problem to have, I guess, but it is, you know, in those times kind of stressful, but no, they're, I mean, Ben's family's really great. They're very, um, you know, like Thanksgiving, his mom made like vegan versions of various things to have at the table and, um, yeah, very, very accommodating. And so it's, it's only when going out occasionally that I feel that a slight stress of having to make the big decision, but I, I would rather have that than them saying, nope, we're all going to a chop house, deal with it. Yeah. And you know, now that those friends are kind of cool, now they're cooler. Like the last time I visited after that situation, Mm -hmm. it was, Hey, we're going to go to this Thai restaurant. There's a lot of vegetarian options. And I thought, Oh, okay. So maybe the, the shock of that I just show up and I say, Oh yeah, I don't eat animals anymore is too much sometimes for some people because they kind of take it as, Oh, like I said before, like, Oh, you don't eat meat. Is there something wrong with meat? I eat meat. So are you saying you're better than me? And I guess I did have something slightly like that, like, um, in, in terms of like the early stages, you know, that there's kind of a zealousness that comes with, um, becoming a new vegan. And I, you know, I probably was a little bit, vocal in times when it maybe wasn't the most appropriate and people definitely push back when, you know, there's, they're eating their food and you make a comment on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I try not to do that. They don't don't love that. Yeah. And I'm definitely like a lot more relaxed, but there was, there was definitely a few occasions where uh, just a little joking offhand comment about the murder on their plate or something, (laughs) you know, just like a slight thing. And so, um, yeah, you don't win over by doing that kind of stuff. No, I've been, um, you know, when I would work on the airplane, I would get a lot of questions like, like flight attendants bring their own food a lot of the time and they always want to share with you. Always. They're in the mm-hmm. back. They're like, Oh, I made this. Do you want it? And I can remember one time I was working with this flight attendant from Hawaii and, um, she said, Hey, do you want to try some of this pork stuff? And I'm not going to lie. It looked good. <laughs> I was like, it looked good. And I was like, no, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat animals. You would have thought I told her I had a bomb in my bag. <laughs> she looked at me like I was like from another planet. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what are you, what are you sorry for? And she's like, well, that you don't get to eat me. And I said, well, no, I, I choose not to. And she's like, right well, what do you eat? And she was serious, Michael. She wasn't acting like, she wasn't acting like she was full on. She was, she, I, it was almost like she felt sorry for my soul. Like, Oh my God, what are you eating? Cause I'm chubby. So I'm eating something. And, um, uh-huh. I said to her, I was like, well, you know, I just don't eat meat. And she goes, well, what do you eat? And I said, well, I don't know. Give me an example of a restaurant for God's sake. I don't know. She's like Mexican. Right. What do you do at a Mexican? I'm like, oh God, that's the easiest thing. A rice and bean burrito. Move on. <laughs> right. I'm like, you got to ask so me something. They're not like cooking their rice and chicken stock or putting right. like, it's like and she's ham like, in their beans. Or oh something. yeah. Don't, no, don't. <laughs> and she said, um, Oh God, I could never do that. And I said, well, you know, it's my choice, but it was just so amazing. It's, <laughs> it's amazing to me how people react when you just say mm-hmm. that you don't eat meat because it's just become such a part of 
America, the United States now, people, it's like mm -hmm. we have meat three times a day and you don't really need it. And I think it is important when you tell people that they understand that it is a decision, that it's not like something that you're suffering with. Right. You know, that it's not, it's not like, oh, you can't. And even occasionally I still hear, I mean, I jokingly correct people when they're like, oh, you can't eat there. I'm like, no, no I choose not to. But, you know, I sort of say it jokingly, but I, I do mean that. And I think it's important to kind of, to have that position of like, no, this is a choice. And even if we go somewhere and I'm stuck eating just the French fries or a salad with vinegar and oil, that that's still a choice. Right. That, you know, I'm still choosing to, to not eat that stuff. It's not like I can't, I could, I'm not going to, I'm okay with what the options are, even if they are slim or limited. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You said something a few minutes ago about how, when you first became a vegan, you would kind of make like slight remarks about, Oh, that chicken on mm -hmm. the plate. Do you know that had their beak ripped off? So they couldn't peck at the <laughs> other chickens in their little two yeah. by two cell. Um, I've gotten that too. Like I don't, I, tr I've always tried to not do that. Like if I'm out with people and they have a steak on the table, I'm, I focus on what I'm eating, but right. even though inside I'm like, Oh God, that's disgusting. Cause that's disgusting to me now, because now I think that was an animal. And like Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. says, Mr. Rogers always said he didn't eat anything that had a mother. And I kind of follow that guideline too. But I get so frustrated and people say, oh, you vegans, you just throw it up in our face. And I'm always like, do you know how many friends that I have that yeah. grill every single day and have Instagram pages where all they do is grill? And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't tell them, you know, you're throwing you're throwing it in my face that you are destroying animal flesh. You know, I don't, right. no, I don't do that. I've never felt like and I mean, there are extremes on every side, you know. You could have somebody on a carnivore diet that's, you know, always throwing their lifestyle in other spaces. And there's definitely vegans that are very, like, hypervigilant about letting you know their position and how they feel and right. making you feel a certain way because they want you to be awakened or to, to realize what's really going on. And, right. Yeah. I've um, had yeah. I, I, that's just not in my, that's just not my, my character, my, my, uh, activism in air quotes is good food. I'd rather, instead of saying something to a person to make them feel guilty, I'd rather make them a delicious meal or show them, Hey, look how delicious this food is. You don't need that. You don't need to eat that meat because look what else you can eat. Right. Well, and that's so what's great about your, page, that way. and that's, what's great about your YouTube page is your food not only tastes fantastic, but it's so beautiful. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, That's the uh, the photo that I didn't choose to major in, I guess, comes out. <laughs> now, <laughs> when you started cooking vegan, you, July 4th, 2016, and you start cooking, mm -hmm. how did you teach yourself? Because, you know, there's a you have to learn how to work with aquafaba. You know, I am actually, my new book that's coming out is called First Class Cocktails with Flight Attendant Joe. And it's a, it's a mm -hmm. comedy book where I tell funny stories like I always do. And then it has a cocktail and all the drinks are vegan because I use aquafaba. But I had to learn mm -hmm. about, wow, you, you can shake up aquafaba in a whiskey sour and it comes out like it's an egg white. It's magic. It's mm -hmm. amazing. How did you start your path on educating yourself um, to cook vegan. So like I, you know, there, I started my story back in 98. Um, but I think it was like 
on July 4th, 2016, I was able to look back on all the other times that I had tried and experimented and things that I've cooked and kind of drew on that information. But then also I, I, like I said, like vegan YouTube really, really helped out. Like I just started, there were a couple days, those first few weeks that I would just do nothing but watch YouTube videos of people cooking vegan food. And that's always how I've been with cooking as I've been like, I never went to culinary school or anything. I just spend every waking hour watching like food network. So, you know, the number of hours I've spent in the food network classroom, I guess has made me what I am today. But yeah, I think that um, a lot of it comes out too of thinking, okay, I want to make this particular dish. Say it's like, okay, I love meringues, which I'm not necessarily a meringue fan, but like if I love meringues, I'm like, what am I going to do? How can I have meringues as a vegan? Do a few Google searches, see what kind of things work, experiment in the kitchen a little bit, and then kind of come up with my version of it. So whatever it's been that I've wanted to eat, because it all, it all comes from hunger. It all comes from <laughs> a craving of like, you know what? I really want to have this thing. So I try to figure out how to, to make that thing. And with vegan food, there's, I feel like the, an omnivore diet has very specific rules. Use eggs for this, use milk for this, use cream for this, um, use meat for this. But as a vegan, you can take those same structures, those same food ratios, but put in other things. So I need to replace egg in a dish. I can use chickpea flour and water. I can use flax meal. I can use chia seeds. I can use aquafaba. I can use tofu. I can, you know, the list is, you know, pretty much infinite of all the things that you can use to replace that or say you wanted to make like kung pao chicken right you have so many things you could use tempeh you could use seitan you could use tofu you have all the different textures of tofu you could just make it all veggie you could put mushrooms in there you could put eggplants in there like you just start to swap things out and experiment and then something stick but yeah short answer is hunger <laughs> short answer is cravings is it um because you've done both and you've done both successfully, do you think one, do you think cooking with animals is easier or harder than not cooking with animals? Cause for me, when I watch my husband cook, cause I'm not going to lie, he does most of the cooking. It does seem like there's more steps when you have to cook a plant-based lifestyle. So, you know, you, you really have to think about cooking more about the process and the steps more than when you're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm just going to slap some chicken on the grill and I'm done. Yeah, I, I think that there, you know, you look at a what's considered like a, a healthy meal. Uh, traditionally, in like America here, you have like a grilled or cooked piece of meat. You have some sort of vegetable and some sort of starch, whatever kind of combination that is. And you know, you can sauce up your your meat however you want, but pretty much it's just meat as meat on a plate. And it is a little bit difficult to, I don't know, if difficult is the right word. But it is more challenging to figure out how to replace that slab with something that's plant-based because you don't want to kill the nutrition profile of your dish. If you just put a portobello mushroom on there in place, you're missing all of the protein. You're missing, you know, the, the positive things that come from eating animal flesh. So what can you use in place of that? It's going to still have, a, you know, a, a, it's still going to satisfy you. It's still going to, you know, Still fulfill, fulfill that need that you have for that particular dish, 
So it does take a little bit more thought, but I think once you change your defaults as as somebody who's cooking vegan or plant-based, you, you have to switch those defaults so that you no longer, when you think of a dish, you no longer think of the animal products that were once in there. You think of the things that you put in there. So it becomes easier, but it just becomes a, it's a paradigm shift. You just have to look at it. What can I put in here in that place? There are some things that are maybe a little bit more labor intensive, like dairy, like I think like substituting in dairy or like cream sauces. Sauces are always a little bit more labor intensive, but um, yeah, I'd be challenging. Now, what is your biggest, thinking back of the last four years, what has mm-hmm. been your biggest challenge transitioning to cooking vegan food? Do you have a, do you have a memory or a thought that pops in your head? Um, I, I still struggle with baking. That's the one thing that I don't feel that I do that successfully. And I, and I think that there is it, because there are so many options. So I don't know, like I made some brownies the other day and they looked good, but they were like a little bit soft. Actually one recipe video that I have, I wanted to veganize Chris Jenner's brownie. Recipe. Yes. I saw that. today. I got, <laughs> I got this idea. I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy like new celebrity cookbooks on Amazon and I'm going to veganize recipes from these celebrity cookbooks. And it didn't get any further than the Chris Jenner brownies because I was so, it felt like such a fail. Aww. But it was just like, because the recipe called for six eggs. Mm. And I tested that recipe four times, maybe trying different things to replace those six eggs. And uh, in the end, I ended up using just egg. And it was okay. Mm-hmm. But it was still like, it didn't feel like a success. So anytime I try to bake, I feel like I, I still struggle with, because it's a science and their structural integrity that you have to worry about. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that skill honed down. But otherwise, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I mean, I, I credit myself with being able to, to save, save a dish pretty well. So I can experiment, throw things together, and I can usually get myself out of a bad situation. So I don't necessarily have too many failures when it comes to cooking savory food, I can usually try to work it out. Yeah, it's definitely easier. Still fails. Yeah, yeah, baking is definitely hard. How many times do you have to run through a recipe before you're ready to record your um, YouTube episode? Um, I try to do it usually about twice before I film. Um, sometimes it's only one time, depends, but I mean, I, I would love to improve my own workflow a little bit because I put a lot on myself on the, the shoot days. But the ideal scenario is I get an idea for a recipe. I test it out, tweak it, make it good. Then I go and make it again, and I can take the photos for that, just fine-tune anything that's a problem. And then the third one would be the actual like filming. But sometimes it only needs one test and I feel like I've got it and I can do the filming the second. Um, sometimes there's a few that I've tested multiple times and it just doesn't seem to work. Like I just can't get it right. Or I back burner it. I've got a whole little like wall of post-its of ideas that are half baked. <laughs> oh, cause I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, how do you, when you're sitting down to think, all right, for this week, I'm going to make this, where do you get your inspiration from? Is it hunger? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. 
it's I, I, I feel like I have very strong flavor memory and I'll just out of nowhere get an idea in my head of like I want this thing, like this dish. I want this. Or I'll get like an idea about an ingredient. So the video we filmed yesterday that I need to edit photos for today is uh using watermelon in dishes that traditionally have tomatoes. Interesting. So there's a panzanella, a bruschetta, pico de gallo, and a gazpacho. So all four wow. use watermelon. And that started out with me just thinking, okay, like, I really love watermelon. What can I do with watermelon? How can I make watermelon different? You know, there's like a watermelon salad. You know, there's vegan feta. So I could do like a vegan feta and watermelon salad. I'm like, well, what else can I do with watermelon? I know watermelon sushi is a thing. So maybe I can experiment with watermelon sushi. So with that, it's been a few, I don't know, like a few days just kind of pondering different things to do with watermelon that may be a little bit different, testing things out. Some things work, some things don't. And then with this one, I was on the phone with my mom kind of flushing out, you know, I was like, I think this is what I want to do. I think I want to like film a video where I just grab a watermelon and try out different things with it on camera. And then as I was about to film that, I was like, you know what? I think I should test these first. So I ran some tests, did all four of them, made my tweaks, and then filmed it yesterday. So it was, I don't know, that answers the question of where it comes from. It's Well, you had me at the watermelon gazpacho. That sounds great. (laughs) It's so good. It's so surprising how much, I don't know, if watermelon might actually be better in those dishes. Tomatoes, I find it's not, it's not always the best season for tomatoes. It's sometimes hard to find, but same with watermelon. But I think like a slightly underripe watermelon actually works better than an underripe tomato in those dishes. Hmm. And it's surprising the yield that you get from a watermelon compared to tomatoes. You get a lot more substance. I know I've re- I've cut a tomato <laughs> and it's like, have you ever cut a tomato and you're like, how did I only get three slices out of this tomato? Yeah, and I had the exact opposite thing with watermelon. It was like cutting it up. I'm like, oh my god, there's a ton. Like, I'm the I use a half of a watermelon for all four recipes, so an eighth of a watermelon in each, and it serves like maybe like two to four for like a eighth of a watermelon. It's surprising how much you get from it. I love how you challenge yourself to say, you know what? I like watermelon. Let me see how many vegan (laughs) vegan dishes I can make with watermelon. How do you think about, or do you use like prepackaged substitutes? Like, do you use those like um, Gardein sausages, the Beyond Beef? Do you do use those things, or do do you stay away from them type of prepackaged products? No, definitely they're they exist. They're in my fridge slash freezer right now. And Ben is a recent. I guess he's been vegetarian for a year now. So there was three years where he still ate meat, although he never ate it in the house. There's only been one time in our house that we've been in for four years because we actually moved into our house that day that I went vegan. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's only been chicken cooked in this house one time. Um, but so he's officially been a vegetarian for a year now. And it's, he's very much a convenience foods eater. Okay. He doesn't think about food. He doesn't think about the next meal during He's not thinking about lunch during breakfast, you know, like I am. He's not going to bed thinking about what he's going to eat the next day. He's very much like, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm starving. I need to eat right now. And so trying to keep things like that around the house for convenience for him, it's, 
it's about not eating the animals. It's about not, you know, it's about not eating meat as opposed to he's not looking at necessarily the health aspects of things. Mm-hmm. And it's just helpful to have those products around the house. His newest favorite thing is to go to Subway and order a vegetarian sandwich and then come home and put vegan lunch meat on it. That's what my husband does. <laughs> like his newest favorite thing. Like he's obsessed with it. Vegan bologna. I didn't like bologna. He didn't like bologna. But vegan bologna is somehow like, I think it's my favorite vegan lunch meat. And then the other night we made impossible tacos, mm-hmm. which he said were the best tacos he's had. So yeah, we, we definitely have them on hand to, to kind of fit that spot that you can't really get by just a vegetable. You know, those, those mock meats are really good for completely nailing that experience. But I think that I also try to be a lot more creative in general. That I think there there's a lot more like from what I like to do, I get a lot more enjoyment out of trying to make something from scratch or trying to use something you wouldn't think in place of the the meat or the dairy. Right. Like with the last like group of cold salads that I made, I love vegan mayonnaise. <laughs> I love vegan a's. There's even a best foods one that's really good. Like. Vegan mayo is great, but for this, I was like, you know what? I want to be able to make a sauce that doesn't require that, that, you know, gives you the same thing from a different source. So I, I like to experiment a little bit more. So, yeah, mock meats are great. Vegan products are great. I just like to try to make things from scratch as well. Well, and it, you know, and I agree with that. I am definitely somebody who, how do I say this? I, um, I kind of use those meat substitutes as a crutch because, mm-hmm. you know, when you make a beyond beef burger and I make a decent one, I buy the slab of it and then I put in my own stuff. And, um, because I use the same recipe that I used to make burgers with when I was a, um, when I ate animal meat, instead of using mm-hmm. Worcestershire sauce in my beef, now I use soy sauce when I make my burgers. Do you know there's actually vegan Worcestershire sauce? I think I've heard, I think Matt told me about that, but I don't know. Yeah, it's actually it. pretty good. Is it pretty yeah. good? And, um, yeah, I forget the name, the brand, but I can I can send you a picture later. Oh, yes, please. And But I, I definitely was curious of how you incorporated that into your, into your show, because I know mm-hmm. that you make a lot of things from scratch, and I know that makes you feel good about when you're cooking and you're like, I made this from scratch. I didn't have to worry about a chicken patty from a frozen section in the grocery store, a fake chicken patty. Right. I think that there's, so in the four years, there's been a lot of introspection about what, why I'm doing what I'm doing and starting from a health perspective and very much there's the whole food plant-based community there's the oil-free, sugar-free, salt-free. There's all these very strict ways of eating a plant-based diet. And then on the other hand, you have vegan, which is on an ethical side of like just no animal products. You're doing it for the animal, the environment, for ethical reasons. And I think that like it's been a journey to try to find the balance between those two mm-hmm. and to say like, how am I going to eat this way to improve my own personal health? but I also don't want to miss out on the things that I had before. And those vegan products do taste really good, but you know, are they necessarily the best thing for you to eat every day, all day? So I try, I've tried to find a balance and I think I'm at a good place with it, but you know, a, sort of a, a nice balance of making things from scratch, trying to use whole plant foods, but then also 
when I want a vegan cheesesteak using Beyond Meat to do that and, you know, vegan cheese, it makes a really good cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it tastes great. And so I can, you know, allow myself to, to go in that direction and to experiment and use those products. But then also when I want to feel like I'm doing a little bit better for myself, I try to do things a little bit more whole food, plant-based. So it's, it's hard to be that. And I feel like when you are putting things out into the world, people want you to be one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been a lot of like criticism about recipes that I've made not being healthy or, you know, you used oil in this dish or, you know, that I felt like for a while I needed to apologize for using oil. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I feel like I've just found a, a place now where I'm at a balance between those. I like them both. They both have their time and place. Sometimes you just want to eat something delicious and quick. Sometimes you want to spend a little bit more time and be a little bit more conscientious about exactly what you're eating. Why were may I ask you, um, mm-hmm. why people, we're giving you shit about using oil when you cook. Um, so when I first started, like my, my journey, <laughs> I hate that word, but it's the best word for it. Mm-hmm. When I first started my journey, it definitely seemed like a lot of the people that were producing content were coming from a very like whole food plant-based um, position. So it was, no processed vegan foods, no processed vegan cheeses, lots of fruit, lots of smoothies, lots of oats. And I think that that mentality, I, maybe I found myself gravitating more towards that because I did come in from a health perspective. Oh, okay. So there were a lot of people that were making, you know, a lot of like healthy plant, I hate that word healthy, but making a lot of plant-based foods that were very whole food based, no oil, no salt. And a lot of it comes from like a weight loss perspective. Um, where if you eliminate the oil, that's a lot of extra calories or fat. Um, when you eliminate salt, your food's not as palatable, so you tend to eat less, um, you know, and everything about refined sugar as well. So I, I think that I was just maybe, I, I kind of was listening to that as like, this is the way to do this life. This is the way to live this. And then things like Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat and all these other vegan products sort of came on the market and I found myself gravitating towards that direction as well. But then you have the the criticism that, well, those aren't whole plant foods. Those aren't good for you. They're processed. They're full of oil. They're full of sodium. So you go from, like you said, there's like the distinction between whole food plant-based and vegan or like a whole uh, plant-based diet versus a vegan lifestyle. And I think that I, I didn't know which side I was on because in the beginning I thought they were the same thing per se. Mm. And so going back and forth, like if people think that you're making an oil-free, you know, that you're an oil-free whole food plant-based channel, but then all of a sudden you cook with a Beyond Burger, they don't know what to, <laughs> they don't oh, know what okay. to do. I don't, know that, I don't know if that answered it. It seems like a long answer, but. No, it does. Because, well, you know, you had to find your own place. Am I correct? Yeah. Like, yeah, you had to find, all right, yeah, I'm not going to eat a Beyond Burger every damn day, but once a week, if it's in tacos, I'm, calm down, people. And I think that's, that's what happens, and that's why people who have a plant-based 
diet or vegans or vegetarians, they get a rap mm -hmm. because it seems like those really loud people who are like, I just eat raw beans for lunch. I'm like, well, that's great. And I'm <laughs> right. glad, but I'm not going to do that. And I still didn't kill any animals today or I didn't eat any animals today. So settle down. And I, I think people have uh, an idea. It, it comes with like being a, a new vegan and you have this zealousness about you that you want to share this with everyone and you want to help everybody and you want to change everything. And uh, I think that happens from a health perspective as well. Where, where people find a way of eating and it's working for them and they're really happy with their decisions and they want to share that with you. I don't think it comes from a, a place of aggression as much as like, I know this thing to be true and I need you to know that also. Like oil's bad for you, salt's bad for you, refined carbs are bad for you. I know this from my experience, so I need you to know that. And it kind of comes across as negative it doesn't necessarily read as being helpful even though it might come from a, a place of being helpful right do you think um what is your ideas on factory farming and how they've really trained humans they've trained us to see a slab of meat in the grocery store say chicken you just see that flesh in mm -hmm. the thing and we we have really been able to say that's not an animal that's lunch um, right. I love the idea of, you know how in some, I don't know if it's in the United, I don't smoke, but I know in some countries, maybe even the United States now on a package of cigarettes, it'll mm -hmm. say like, these will kill you if you take these or something like that. And I always thought, wouldn't it be great? Of course, this could never happen because factory farming is so huge, but <laughs> you know, wouldn't right. it be great if on a slab of steak, it said 13 animals died and the feces from this cow caused respiratory illness and is polluting the environment. Do you think that that would affect how people look at food? I, I don't know. I think that people still smoke even with those warnings on cigarettes. And I, I think that I was definitely the person that was like, well, I'm only going to eat the boneless chicken wings, I, you know, or like I'm going to eat like the, the fast food chicken sandwich or the burger. Like I was very much the person that consumed meat without, having any concept of where it actually came from. As you said, it was just lunch. And I think that the way that, you know, factory farmed meats in particular are presented to people is they're boneless, skinless, faithless. And uh, it is hard to look at, you know, uh, a fried chicken sandwich and equate that to what was once a living being. Right. So, I mean, I guess that, you know, a label on it might make people think twice, but... I think the people know what they're eating. They just, it doesn't, that's the greatest, the greatest uh, issue is figuring out how to make people realize what they're eating when they already know what they're eating. <laughs> they know exactly what it is. It's called chicken. Right, <laughs> right, right. But do you think but that the if fact that they, they, they were told like, what's happening with this chicken? Like, hi, before, well, there's a Portlandy episode, which is hilarious <laughs> where, I don't know if you know that show, but it's, um, yeah. they're going, they go to a restaurant and they want to order the chicken, but they want to know where, well, where was this chicken from? Does the chicken have a <laughs> yeah. name? And then they, they cut to where they're at the farm where the chicken, well, where, where were the, where was their house? <laughs> mm -hmm. Which I find to be hilarious. But in my mind, that's how I think now too. So I'm on the fence, like you said, like people are going to eat whatever they want. And I understand that. But I always think like if they put a big slab on there that said, 
you know, this chicken was withheld, did not have water for, for 14 days because they wanted it to, you know, emult quicker or whatnot. Yeah. I'm hoping that humans would say, God, that's shitty because people love their animals. Like I love my, we have two cats. I love my cats. And, but you know, and now when I look at a cow, I don't think of it as food. I think, well, you're just like my cat. Completely. And that's, that's interesting. You say that. Cause that was, I do credit, like we have, you know, pups, Odie. Now we had Tuffy and that was one of the things that was like the biggest click for me was like looking at their legs or just looking at them in the face. And whenever I would see an animal on TV or any sort of like farmed animal, like I immediately see them or even like slaughterhouse footage, Mm -hmm. which I don't really like to, to watch or anything, but if I, if I do see animals being abused or hurt, I instantly see my dog's faces or I think of my dog being in that situation. And that probably had one of the greatest impacts of that realization. But I mean, I'm an example of somebody who watched what was happening to excuse me, watched what was happening to animals, saw all the footage, knew what was going on, had gone vegan, but then, you know, a year later was able to eat foie gras and not think twice about it or thinking, God, this is really delicious. And so, I mean, if I was able to be that person who had a full understanding enough to go vegan and then go back from that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly made it click this time. Like I said, my, my dogs and seeing their faces and thinking about them, but it's, yeah, I don't know what it is that'll work to, to make other people see that as well, to see a chicken sandwich as a chicken, to see a burger as a cow and to have that really have an effect on them and the decision not to eat that. I know. Cause I know, for which is me, why I try to, so weird. well, that's why I think that my, instead of trying to go that angle of trying to get people to realize what they're consuming, I try to say, Hey, why don't you eat this instead? Here, you can eat this burger and you don't have to kill a cow here. You can eat this tofu. It's flavored really well. You'll like it. Promise. Trust me. And you don't have to eat this other thing. So trying to get them from that angle, as opposed to trying to get them to stop what they're doing. I try to get them to do something else. There's like a, a theory, it's like the crowding out the plate theory, where that if you can sort of get that meat pushed off the plate by other things, that it might have a greater impact. So if we can substitute other things to go onto that plate, that would eventually push the meat off. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a a way of going about it. Because like, people people are aware, people know what they're they're eating. It just doesn't have the impact. It's not it's not clicking. It's not. They're not, they're not, you got got to go another way. They're not woke, Michael. They're not woke. (laughs) I guess that's what it is. What the kids say. That's what the, oh my God. But you know, when you were just sharing all that with me, I kept, you Mm -hmm. know, the, the word teacher just kept flashing in front of me because you're such a teacher that even today in your new life, your new role as a vegan cook, you're still Mm -hmm. not trying, you're still not saying you need to stop eating animals. You're trying to teach people to say, Hey, you don't have to eat animals. You can eat this. And I promise you it's just as good. Right. And it's interesting. There's a, another like YouTube comment troll scenario is anything that does use some sort of mock meat or the most recent example 
um, I did a teriyaki chicken bowl salad. And uh, a person chimed in in the comments that they didn't want me to use the word chicken, not understanding why people want to eat mock meat. So if if you're going to talk about meat or you're going to use the meat word or you're going to eat a a mock meat, why don't you just eat the real thing? Mm. And that's such an like having to respond to those comments over and over again. And it's baffling to me how somebody has that perspective to, to not understand why a vegan would want to eat a vegan burger and not a beef burger, why that they choose to eat the vegan version as opposed to the dead animal version. Like it's just baffling to me how somebody doesn't get that. But I think that if you can get people to, to just eat one thing instead of the other thing, I think we're good. I love that you brought that up. And so my question will be, I am somebody who eats animals. Say, say I'm somebody who eats animals. And I say to you, Michael, this pork, this pig is already dead. What's the point? I might as well eat it. I'm going to eat this piece of bacon because the pig's already dead. What is a good response that someone like me could say to a person who would say that? So I follow a lot of really cute pig accounts on Instagram. <laughs> and uh, I did not expect that. So one of my good friends no longer eats pork. He still eats other animals. But um, I think it's like Prissy and Paw. And there was another one, my best friend Hank, which I think he actually passed away, unfortunately. But um, I would just, whenever I would see pictures of cute pigs come up in my feed, I would like direct message them to him. And it sort of started out as kind of like offhanded, but it really did have an effect. And he has a puppy. And I think that he started to sort of make connections and seeing these, these pigs as beings. And even though I wasn't trying to make a, a huge difference in him, I think that like being able to, to see that did have an effect. So again, like that's my level of, of activism, which probably a lot of people have fault with or find a problem with. I'm a little bit more, I guess, passive and indirect, <laughs> like, Oh, you want to eat pigs? Here's some cute pig pictures. <laughs> I love that though. I was like, Oh, hold Might on. Might not be oh. effective for everyone, but now, but I have found, I've been actually, that's actually, and the reason I'm asking you that is because those words have been said to me. It's like, mm-hmm. well, the, it's the, it's already dead. Why don't you just eat it? And I always think, well, you're missing the point. I choose not to eat it because that's one less person right. eating meat which mm-hmm. helps the environment because then that's one less cow or one less chicken. Cause let me tell you in the past, I could eat an entire chicken. I mean, I could eat a whole and chicken. I think it, it also, it also is about like sort of pushing things off the plate idea as well. Like if you go to a restaurant and they do offer a vegan option or more people are ordering the vegan option or, you know, fewer people are ordering the meat options and they're ordering other things. Theoretically, you know, in the, in the dream scenario is if that restaurant's going to be providing more vegan food, they're going to be eventually spending less on purchasing animal products because it's not selling as much, and therefore the demand decreases. Exactly. That's why, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I knew he would. I he's we the expert. I, what? <laughs> I, thought we, I forgot we were being recorded. Oh, see? Yeah, that's what happens. Um, now... What in your, in, you know, you've studied, you've read, you know, all about this stuff. What is the, if I'm, if I come to you and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to try veganism. I'm going to stop eating animals. What's the first animal I should stop eating? 
chicken, cow, beef, pork, like what would your recommendation be to someone? Ooh, that's a tough one. I would, all of them. You don't need to eat any of them. You want, you know what, you want a hamburger, get a Beyond Burger or an Impossible Burger. You want, uh, you know, chicken fingers, you want a chicken sandwich. There's a ton of brands, tons of brands of frozen ones. You know, like I would, I would say that you don't need to eat those because you can get those same flavors from, from something else. So if you really wanted to do it, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm the wrong person because I did sort of just go. I know you're like strong overnight, <laughs> but, but, but that it erases the idea that it had happened many, many times before where I went vegan and stopped. But yeah, I think that there's no real reason to eat any animals because we have versions of those products. And I guess one could argue like steak or like lamb chop or something that you don't necessarily have the closest vegan analogs for yet. But yeah, that would be my, my answer I think is you don't need any of them. Don't eat any Here, of let them. Me, <laughs> let me make you something. Yeah. Here, let me, I let want... me cook this tofu for you. God, you know, you live in, you live in, um, can I say where you, in the area that you live in? You live in, yeah. yeah, you live in Las Vegas, and one of my favorite yep. vegan restaurants is there, Veganation, which whenever yeah. I had a Las Vegas layover, I would always go down to Fremont Street, and I would go there. So I love that restaurant so much. And they're actually up to two locations now. There are two locations, yes. I, I've yep. walked from the Stratosphere to the restaurant um, down around Fremont. Let me tell you, it was a frightening walk, but I did it because I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to go there. Um, yeah, let's rewind. So let's rewind a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. so Ben has been a vegetarian for a year now right. for the three years that he wasn't, obviously mm -hmm. you did not cook meat in the house, but would he eat no. your vegan food? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. He's uh, like a lot of the, the dishes that I've made or a lot of the flavor profiles that I have have directly come from me trying to make something that he would like. So, for example, there's a fried mushroom sandwich, which is uh, supposed to taste like a Wendy's fiery habanero chicken sandwich. And that directly came out of him wanting the sandwich, which I guess technically isn't even offered at Wendy's any longer. Mm -hmm. But he wanting this thing, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this. I'm going to figure this out. And he even hates mushrooms, but these oyster mushrooms that I, I use in there actually worked pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I think that he... As long as I made food that he liked, he would eat it. But what he was still eating was like burgers from a like McDonald's drive-through or like the occasional fast food meat. He's never been like a big steak kind of person. He's he's definitely more of like the the fried chicken sandwich burger mm -hmm. meat consumer, which are the easiest things to get vegan versions of. Also, right now, would you? While you were those three years, while you're, mm -hmm. you're living this vegan life, you're running a YouTube show, are you trying mm -hmm. to get him to transition to becoming a plant, having a plant-based diet? Or are you like, I'm just going to let him find it on his own if he does? So the one time that chicken had been in this house in four years, he, I forgot what dish it was exactly that he wanted, but we had gone to the grocery store together and he insisted, he's like, no, I need chicken. I'm like, okay. And I, I, I believe I even offered to cook it because I'm pretty much the only one that cooks. So I think I had offered to cook it. And this was maybe two months 
maybe three months into being vegan. So it was pretty early on. And, um, I remember like, that's the first time I was ever really triggered about like the chicken. Like I said, kind of seeing the bacteria crawling along all surfaces and everything that's touched now is contaminated. And that's when I first had that kind of moment was when this chicken was brought into the house. And I think I was kind of awful. Like, (laughs) I think I really (laughs) turned him off to the experience, even though I was, you know, helping him prepare this meal with chicken in it. I think I was really, really weird at the time, okay. which is understandable. And I, and I think that kind of had an effect on him and he never then wanted or offered to bring chicken or any other meat into the house again. Um, like I said, it was always just kind of like going out to a restaurant or fast food. So I never really like tried to, to change him or tell him that he couldn't. I just think it, I think I really <laughs> set him off by being so disgusted I was, I was by over it. the top. Yeah. Were you, were like, you, oh were you? Gosh, like, oh. <laughs> right. Um, what you said earlier that you had been a vegetarian through college and then you tested the yep. waters of being a vegan, but then you fell off the wagon. What caused you to slip off and start eating meat again? And what's different now that you wouldn't do it now? So I think what it was, um, I had this really great job for a while where I was, I did restaurant reservations over the phone for what was at the time MGM Mirage Resorts. So it was Bellagio, MGM Grand, New York, New York. I forget how many were, but all these major strip hotels. So I was doing phone reservations and there were about 50 restaurants total that we did reservations for. And one of the perks of the job was called a dine around. And so we got a comp for every restaurant that we did reservations for uh, one comp per restaurant every year. So theoretically I was eating at a different restaurant on a, in a strip hotel. And these were five-star restaurants with Cirque, Picasso. So they were really high end restaurants with these comps. And I think I was like early twenties at that time. So having the opportunity to eat all of these very chefy course meals and having this opportunity, I think played a big role in being like, I can't have any dietary restrictions. And I think once you kind of step off, it's easy to like, you know, one bite of something, it was like, okay, now I'm off the wagon. So I'm just going to eat whatever. And so it was like that for a number of years. The main difference I think now that would prevent me from, or why I wouldn't go back is that I think I have a better understanding of what I can do in the kitchen and that I don't necessarily need. And that the restaurant options, vegan options are just so much now that I don't necessarily need any of that. Like I truly do believe that there's anything that I want to eat. I can either buy a vegan version of it or make a vegan version of it. So there's no reason for me to not. Yeah. So that's why I don't think I'll ever not be vegan just because I don't, I don't need to. I can't think of anything right now that I would crave that I couldn't satisfy with a vegan option. Like I, I literally can't think of anything. And that's taken, and that takes a while. You know, I remember my first year, it was difficult. Like if I yeah. smelt 
If I even smelled like, say the neighbor was grilling and I smelled that beef smell, my mouth would water. I would instantly like, God, I want that. And now two and a half years later, when I smell it, I'm just like, oh, I don't need that. And it was such an interesting yeah. shift. And it's not that that doesn't smell good. Like I'll still walk out in the neighborhood and smell somebody barbecuing and be like, wow, that, like that smell, that, that, that memory is still there. Which is why I think that, you know, the, the issue is why would you eat a vegan meat when you, you know, you just eat the regular meat or just, you know, or don't eat the mock meat at all. I think that there's so much that's tied to our cravings and the foods that we eat that there, there's so much more in it other than just taste. There's memory, there's culture, there's a lot that goes into why we decide to eat what we eat. And even after four years of being a vegan, I'll still smell things that I'm like, oh my God, that smells so good before really like realizing what it is. So yeah, no, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm sitting here and, and I'm thinking about people who recent, um, I just had somebody on my podcast who's a recovering alcoholic and she's mm -hmm. been sober for four years. Congratulations to that. That's incredible. And you've been a vegan yeah. for four years. Wow. That's incredible. And, um, <laughs> and there's just this stigma about plant-based diets. Like if you go up to someone, you say, mm -hmm. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, congratulations. If you walk up to somebody and say, I don't eat meat, they're like, why? Right. And I always go back to that idea that it's psychological for them because so many people eat meat. If you choose not to, if you make the, and it's a choice, like you said, I, I'm choosing not to go to that restaurant. I'm, it's not that I don't, mm -hmm. I, I could find something. I mean, if I want to have a garden salad, I'll have a garden salad, but I'm choosing not to go. There. <laughs> yeah. It's the idea that, oh, do you think you're better than me? I, and maybe it's because those have been my experiences with coming out as a vegetarian. Like mm -hmm. I've had, I'll be honest with you. I think I've had more shit from people or mockery or just slight comments about me being a vegetarian than when I was coming out as a homosexual. <laughs> I, I think there might be something to the idea too, that by you presenting yourself in a certain way, it makes them have to look at themselves as well. So if you say, I'm not eating meat, it makes them have to look at their own meat consumption, mm -hmm. you know? And I think maybe that's where some of that, that comes from is it's like, well, what, what's wrong with it? Right. it? You know, it's sort of, you get defensive of like, well, if you're not doing it, you must see something wrong with it, which means you see something wrong with my decision and you see something wrong with me choosing to make this decision. So I think that there's a, a subtle sense of being attacked or criticized, even by you just simply stating, this is what I am. I I'm not eating meat to them means, well, What's wrong with me eating me? Why do you have a problem with what I do? And I, and I think that like, I'm, I like with my, my parents' generation and Ben's parents' generation, there, there's this sense that like my mom, she still says, well, she, she was reading this book, like eat right for your blood type. You've heard of that book? No, I haven't. So this theory is that you, your blood type determines where your sort of uh, biology comes from. I think this book has been seriously debunked, but uh, your your blood type is a marker of your biology, and depending on what your blood type is, you should be eating a specific diet, right? Avoiding specific things or eating specific things. And I remember my mom saying, and she still says it occasionally, it's like, well, you know, I read that book, and it, you know, it said that I should be eating meat, so it's something that, like, I just feel like I need to eat meat. 
like that there's something in there that like to not eat it would be like not giving your body something that it absolutely needs. It's like, uh, Oh, that's interesting. And then I think that like Ben's family, I think his parents are the same way. They're, they're from the Midwest and, um, they're very accommodating and very sweet to me and are always looking out for me, but themselves it's like, well, no, this is just how we eat. This is what we do. This is our life. We've always done it this way. Our bodies need this meat's healthy. But we, but we know that's not true because, you know, back in, you know, and you, you brought up generation, which makes sense to me because, you know, think of, think of like, well, my mom's dead, but she grew up in, she was born in the forties, but think of like people back who lived in the thirties and forties and fifties, you know, you were lucky. You were lucky if you had meat once Mm -hmm. a week, you're like, we're having chicken tonight. And it was like, oh my God, we're having chicken tonight. And then, you know, in the fifties and sixties with the boom of factory farming came now, look, now we're going to pump these chicken through with hormones. And now they're, everyone's going to be, so it's almost like the people who grew up in that time now think, well, why look at how easily meat's accessible. Why wouldn't you want to eat meat constantly? When I was a kid, we only had it once a week. So and even things like got you know got milk or pork is what's for dinner or the the other white meat i think that there's like i don't necessarily see them as much anymore but i feel like for so long there was so much you know it was all about excuse me meat and dairy and that you need it to to live and i think that so many people have just grown up with being told that the you know the food pyramid and all the stuff that just tells us that we need to eat meat as a part of a healthy diet if you don't you're going to be deficient in things it's the fact the word protein is synonymous with meat. Mm, right. If you want, if you want protein in your diet, well, that means you have to eat meat to get that. And I and I think that that's just stuck with a lot of people, and they think about eating a, a healthy, is that word again, uh, a balanced <laughs> diet. Um, that that includes meat because that's where protein comes from, and I, I think it's truly as simple as that. Yeah, that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense to me regarding that idea. What, um, if I came to your house tonight mm-hmm. and I said, whip me up a snack, what is something that you whip up? That's really quick and easy that you just love to snack on. Um, I always try to keep things like white rice. I, I love a short grain rice. So I always have like short grain rice in the fridge. Um, I always keep pretty stocked with tofu and I think that uh, I, I've joked about it on YouTube before, but I truly believe it, that a vegan's favorite food is sauce. <laughs> so yes. as long as you have a good sauce, you can pretty much make anything great. So if it was like, we need to eat in 10 minutes, which actually I think it was two nights ago now, this came up, we were kind of, I, I don't know if we were watching TV or what we were doing, but it was like, been like instantly hungry, I need food. I was like, all right, well, I've got rice made. Um, I can quickly just like put some seasoning on tofu. I'm going to put it into the air fryer or the oven, cook it up. I'm going to make like a quick teriyaki sauce. And that's pretty much what we ate. And it was ready in about 15 minutes. So I think that having staples like starches and things like that kind of prepared ahead of time that you can just quickly add things to. I try to keep things prepped. If you were to come over today, you would be eating nothing but all the watermelon dishes. <laughs> uh, I've got a fridge full of gazpacho and all that, which was actually pretty, pretty easy to whip up. Um, yeah. I also love canned beans. Um, 
just anything, you know, as long as you have some sort of like base to put stuff on, just whip some beans up, put them in a sauce, put them over that grain. And that's if like, you really need some like really quick bare bones food in your system. I love how passionate you are about food. When you talk about food, I'm sometimes I'm like, maybe he's describing Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm like the man loves food and I love it. And you've, (laughs) you've created this entire new job for yourself based on all the things that you love. And I think that's so great and fascinating. I love that. It's sort of weird how it, it happened. I think like kind of like woke up one day and was like, Hey, I kind of am checking off all the boxes. <laughs> like, I feel like everything that I've talked about doing or wanting to doing or uh, wanted to do, or like all my passions, I'm sort of doing them. Yeah. It's almost so hard cool. to believe, right? Do you ever feel guilty? Do you ever feel guilty that you have this opportunity to work for yourself and to do something you love when there's so many people that are just stuck in the grind and they don't know how to get out? Yeah, and I think that there's a, a guilt of feeling like I should be doing more. There's a a feeling that I mean, there, there's there's a, a guilt of well, maybe I should be working a, a nine to five job so that I feel like a member of society or like I'm contributing. Like, feel like I should be doing something more like what most people are doing to feel like I'm I'm living life the right way. Because my day is is very different. My my schedule's very open, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't. Even though I probably work more now than I ever have, just because I'm never not working. Like every time I'm in the kitchen, or every time I'm taking pictures, or editing photos, or writing blog posts, or um, engaging on social media, like that adds up to a lot of time and probably a lot more effort than I put into any job in the past. But it doesn't feel like work, right? So there's a guilt in feeling like. I should be working. I'm fascinated that you and I are following the same path. <laughs> it's so incredible to me. When yeah. when you left teaching and you were like, I'm going to embark mm-hmm. on this crazy thing. Let's hope it works. Would you get upset when somebody would say, oh, you're not going to teach anymore? What are you going to do now? Um, I don't. I wouldn't get upset because I, I kind of had the same feeling. Like I, like I said, there was like a hope that I could make ends meet by creating content and putting it on the internet, you know, like I hope that I can, you know, pay the bills by cooking on, you know, cooking in front of a camera and putting it on YouTube. But, you know, there was also in the back of my mind is like, what am I going to do? I mean, it's still there. Like instantly um, things could be changed or taken away or, you know, situations could be different. And I, I would have to, you know, maybe choose a different path, but yeah, I don't think I would get upset because I too had the same, questions like what are you gonna do because to say like i'm gonna quit my job mm-hmm. or i'm making a decent income full benefits like everything's great i'm gonna quit that to hopefully like become successful on youtube like it sounds it sounds crazy <laughs> it speaking does. of like parents generation being a parent's generation um not necessarily having a concept of new media being able to keep the lights on I think that that's also difficult for them to perceive and understand that wait you can you can do this and pay the bills. 
And I think it's so they they see it as more than just like a hobby or like a fun thing that you're doing, which I think they're they're coming around, but right. I think there's still a perception of like, okay, it's cute what you're doing, but what are you really doing? Because and you said it right. What are you what are you gonna what are you gonna do for you know what, when are you gonna get a job? Right. Because and you said it perfectly. You said you know most of the world has that nine to five mentality. And when you leave a job, mm -hmm. when you're doing great, it's almost a shock. Again, it's like becoming, it's like saying I'm a vegetarian. It's the shock of, well, what are you going to do now? And I know I hand, I probably handle a little differently than you did. You're more graceful than I am. Of course. Um, <laughs> I'm inappropriate and loud and crass, but I can That's remember good. when people would say like, what are you doing? Oh, you're, you're retiring from the airline. What are you going to do now? And I, re I would get so mad and I would like yell at my husband, not at him, but I would be like, do these fucking people not know that I've written three books and I host <laughs> Like, what do you think I'm going to do? And so yeah. I, I still get text messages like, how's retirement? And I'm like, busier than when I worked at the airline mm -hmm. because now it's all on me. It's I'm not getting a paycheck anymore flying around the country, going to Las Vegas and going to my favorite restaurant. I'm mm -hmm. sitting in my house trying to self-promote. And that is so exhausting and frightening. Yeah, it's a different type of work that I don't think there's a lot of people that they understand. Like there's so many jobs that I've had where I sat out a desk and didn't do anything and made more than I'm making now doing more, you know, <laughs> putting in more effort. And, and I, I think that the, yeah, it's like, well, if you're not sitting at a desk or if you're not clocking in that it's not valid and that's hard for you to understand as, as a self too you know to to see that for yourself like well is it am i is what i'm doing valid is this is this a job does this work should i be doing more should i be you know like have another job to fall back on in case should i be you know sending out resumes to places if schools go online after this summer like should I be like trying to, you know, do online teaching as a way to, you know, there's just so much that I think it's a self-consciousness and maybe slight like imposter syndrome, oh, which uh, I don't know yeah. if you can, if right. you can have imposter syndrome and diagnose yourself with it or if that negates imposter syndrome, but um, that feeling that what you're, what you're doing is just not um, all that you could be doing. I, um, I understand imposter syndrome very well. I suffer from it every day before I hit the record button to talk to you today. Mm -hmm. I was like, what am I doing? Who am I fooling? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I go through that like every five minutes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, somebody wants to talk to me on a podcast. What, like why, why would somebody like want to talk uh, to me on a podcast? Well, I have you to know? tell you. Um, so like I said, one day I walked down the living room and it was probably like, right. It was April. It was when we were all locked down and everyone was making bread. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Everybody started making bread. It was the thing. I made bread. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody made bread. And I my, made it once. I hated it. Oh no. Um, <laughs> my husband has mastered making vegan sourdough bread and it's fantastic. It's incredible. Really? Oh yeah. And, um, he would watch your videos for hours and hours. And I'm like, who, what's going on? Oh, I know why you're watching him. He's cute. And um, he's like, no, he's got such great recipes. And so we, he made your recipe. And then I was just sitting there one day and I said, I'm going to have Munson on my podcast. Cause I didn't know your name was Michael. I thought, oh, he's got a clever name too. This is amazing. And so I started at the beginning to like, start to say my first name. Cause I would get like a lot of comments of like, who's Munson or what's Munson. Oh so, yeah. No. I get it. 
So, yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get Munson on my podcast. And my husband's like, you're not going to get Munson on your podcast. I'm like, well, I'm going to ask him and see what he says. And he said, yes. And now you're here. So now I can go downstairs and go, ha, ah, I had Munson on my podcast. Very flattered. Yeah, uh, you're well, you're so you're incredible. And ladies and gentlemen, please check out his website. And I'm going to let you um, tell everyone where they can find you right before we end the episode. But I'm telling you, your food is not only fantastic and tastes good, but it looks so beautiful that, like you said, you're not even going to think about a steak. Because a steak is right. actually pretty ugly when you think about it. <laughs> right. That's the idea is just uh, get people in with good food and then once they realize they can eat delicious things without having to kill an animal to do it, I think there's only one decision. You can eat a burger without having to kill a cow. Why wouldn't you eat a burger without killing a cow? I know. Going back to going back to our pets, you know how, mm -hmm. you know, in certain Asian countries, they eat cats and they eat dogs. And mm -hmm. we look at that and we freak, you know, oh my God, that's horrible. But in India, they don't eat cows. But we um, as Americans in the Western love to eat cows. So in my mind, I think if you're eating a cow or a pig or a chicken, but you freak out when another nation's eating a cat, and I am a huge cat person, you're kind of mm -hmm. a hypocrite to me. Right. I mean, I, I was on some weird YouTube internet rabbit hole yesterday looking up like, the greatest minds in history and most of them were either like vegetarian or vegan and uh i forget which one it was it could have been da vinci or something but he was one of the ones credited with the the concept of speciesism and why it is that we favor some species over others and why we see some species as food versus others as companions oh, that sounds fascinating yeah where did you google yeah google like <laughs> famous minds or like smartest people in history, vegan or vegetarian, you'll be surprised by the list. It's kind of I'm, fascinating. I'm definitely going to do that. Now, before I let you go, because I've taken mm -hmm. up so much of your time and I know you're very busy, I want to play a round of Let's Get Grounded, where I ask you to pick an airline, and you can pick any airline, okay. I'll name them, and then I ask you the okay. question and you answer it. So, All right. um, American Airlines, JetBlue, Alaska, Southwest, United, or Frontier Airlines? So Ben's brother is a pilot with American, so I'll just choose that because. Okay. Oh, he is. Oh, that's great. Um, how long does it take you to unpack from a trip when you get home? I usually do it pretty immediately. Um, I would say maybe five, 10 minutes. I'm really good about when I'm at a destination. I'm a Virgo, by the way. Okay. Um, I always have a bag for dirty clothes that I keep with me in my suitcase. So the dirty clothes goes directly into the dirty clothes hamper and any clothes that are still clean get put away. So it goes pretty quickly. When you're in a hotel, do you unpack and put things away or do you live out of your suitcase? And that's just me asking because I'm curious. <laughs> no, I actually like open up my suitcase. I usually look for like the suitcase stand mm -hmm. and I like to just like open up the suitcase sort of clamshell style and just kind of work out of that. Unless I've got shirts that need to be hung and then I'll hang those. I'm the same way. I have a friend. It doesn't matter if he's in a hotel for five hours, he unpacks everything. and puts it in the drawers and I'm like, it's going to no, take you so uh, much time to leave. No, I'm all about working smart, not hard. I'd rather do things the most efficient. 
That's very smart. M- Mike, I almost called you Munson. Michael, thank you for being on my show. I am honored. Yeah, thanks for having and me. And I want, this is the moment where you can let everyone know how they can find you, where they can find you on Instagram and YouTube and your, your website page. Sure. Yeah. My YouTube and Instagram are both Munson made this. That's M-O-N-S-O-N. And uh, yeah, I post weekly YouTube videos. They're normally YouTube recipe videos, but sometimes there's other content thrown in there. And uh, I'm trying to be more active on Instagram with stories. And um, But I post pictures of the food that I make on YouTube directly on Instagram. I also now have channel memberships on YouTube, which allow people to support the channel more directly. And through that, I offer PDFs of recipes as well as um, extra videos called Month and Ate This, which is my little after show videos where I basically eat the food that I just cooked and talk about my day. And then finally, MunsonMadeThis.com, again, M-O-N-S-O-N. That's where all of the recipes are. There's maybe like 150 or so on there now. So every recipe for my YouTube channel is on my website. That's so awesome. Thank you. I think that's it. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I forgot to ask you a question that I actually have written down here, and I don't want to forget it. It's, where do you see your brand heading, and do you have any plans to write a cookbook? Um, I mean, I would love to write a cookbook if somebody, uh, you know, approached me and offered me a a good deal. No one has approached me even slightly, so (laughs) I can't even weed out deals at this point, but I I would definitely do it. Um, One of my friends, Jackie Soban, she has vegan yak attack. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a while after quitting, when I needed some extra money, I was her assistant for a while. And it was kind of cool seeing, um, I think I was there while she, she shot at least one cookbook. I think I was there while she shot two cookbooks. So I've seen some sort of behind the scenes and all of the work that goes into it. And it's fascinating to me. I do like the immediacy of just making a recipe and putting it online or making a video for it. But yeah, I could definitely do a a cookbook if the right opportunity came along. And um, in terms of where I see the brand, I think I just want to make more videos, continue with that. Um, And I don't know, I'm just really enjoying the pace that I'm working at now. I feel it's a good amount of content. I have a good balance of personal time and work time and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So um, I don't have any lofty goals for the future. Just can, being able to continue, I think, is the goal is being able to, to keep up the pace right? and to continue to grow and to have people enjoy what I'm doing because that means everything, to be able to do what I like and to have people respond positively. Like, that's just crazy. So in the future, I want that to continue. Well, I want to thank you. Um, first of all, um, there is there will be a cookbook in your future. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you're you, you. you are destined to write a cookbook. I can't wait for you to have it. it when you have one, it's going to be in our kitchen. But um, well, I, I'll dedicate part of it to you. Yay! Oh my for god! Putting it out into, for putting it out into the universe. Listen, listen. My husband's going to be so <laughs> jealous. No, um, thank you so much. Not only do you cook incredible foods that I've actually enjoyed and thought were fantastic, but you're also educating people on why they shouldn't eat animals in a very respectful and positive way. And I want to thank you. So thank you for that. And thank you for being on my show. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And like I said, I'm, I'm flattered. It's, it's cool. All right. You have a great day. <laughs> Tell Ben and Odie I said, hi, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Definitely. Okay, All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.